Okay, hello. Uh, in this episode of Remote Possibilities, we speak with Jeff Rubenstein. Jeff is the VP of Product Strategy at Kaltura. He has held senior roles in a number of educational publishing and technology companies, including 2U and Wimba. At 2U, Jeff was responsible for product strategy and design for their learning management platform, as well as various backend support systems and content management technologies. At Wimba, he built synchronous and asynchronous collaborative tools for K-12 and higher education. He is the liaison for Kaltura with IMS Global Consortium and other educational standards bodies. Now, Kaltura is a company that provides live and on-demand video SaaS solutions to thousands of organizations around the world, engaging hundreds of millions of viewers at home, at work, and at school. Uh, and in this episode, we actually recorded the conversation uh, using Kaltura. And so we'll go over to that now. Your company must have been going through some pretty heavy gymnastics, huh? It's It's been... It's been really, really busy. <laughs> I can say it's been really, really busy for us. Um, and uh, it, it, it's been fascinating. I mean, we've yeah. done some pretty interesting stuff, which I, I love to get into in details, um, you know, over the course of the, of the conversation. Uh, but yeah, we've been we've been doing a lot of a lot of work with a lot of um, companies as well as uh, higher ed, further ed, um, continuing ed and K-12 as well. Give me a little bit um, of what it was like back i it seems like friday march 13th was uh the day <laughs> for many not only in the industry but in in, in schools both in k-12 and, and higher ed where at least in the united states people's minds kind of collectively exploded and said you know, this is something different and this is where we have to go is that around the same time that you saw started to see uh your customers reacting Precisely, and the time we started seeing our usage just spiking. Yeah, um, when everyone said, "Okay, like, hey, we got to shut campus uh, now. Let's start moving everything online." Yeah, uh, and so, uh, you know, what did that involve? I mean, did you have to add customer support, or like, what was the uh, what was your response? Yeah, we had to add a lot of capacity. Yeah, um, and it actually accelerated our transformation. Um, to the public cloud. We actually ran our own data centers for uh, 15 years um, because back when we started, there wasn't public cloud. Yeah. And we needed very specialized data centers uh, because video is very intense in terms of compute storage and bandwidth. Right. So um, we, we added a lot of capacity. We did add people. Um, we started to reach out to schools saying, hey, we're here for you. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll start giving you free additional service. We'll start working with you for free, you know, um, because right now it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, to make yeah. sure that schools have as much continuity as they possibly can. Yeah. And now, but if you had a, a current customer base that were already using your technologies to a degree. Um, talk a little bit about the acceleration that I assume that you've seen about that use. I mean, you talked about, you know, uh, student teacher, but now also back office uh, communications as as a platform, is this now going to become kind of the standard operating procedure? You think for not only some aspects of uh, education, but also the the bureaucracy, the management of those institutions. I, I think so, and I think in lots of cases, uh, the the back office technology is is still um, quite old. Some of it's not even cloud yet. I mean the the big 
sort of uh, ERP vendors like your Genzabar and, and Elucian, um, you know, have been going through that transformation right now. And there yeah. are a few new cloud vendors out there, you know, Workday and, and others, campus management, um, who have started, um, who are a bit ahead in that transformation. But yeah. traditionally, the back office systems have not been very digital uh, because they haven't had to be. Uh, yeah. You know, they never got the pressure from faculty and students to have a modern UI like the rest of the tools they use every day. Uh, but now with uh, COVID, um, it's accelerated this process and they've had to adopt tools that, that uh, have a user-facing front end because now the basic communication, you know, whether it's recruiting with, with prospects, whether it's student services, where you have to have uh, the ability to interface with students directly, just you know, talk to them about, hey, you know, how's it going with your program? Um, or, hey, it looks like uh, you know, some people are concerned about you because you've been having a hard time. Can we talk? You know, can we, should we get you a counselor? Should we get you um, a writing tutor? And right. that's got to happen somewhere online, you know, or uh, accessibility. I mean, you know, people who advise you on how to use JAWS or how to uh, help you figure out what's the appropriate um, assistance you need and to get that to you. Yep. Well, that's now happening virtually. Yep. And, uh, and guess what? Um, uh, students these days do not use the phone. No. I mean, when was the last time you accepted a phone call from someone you didn't know? Just Chinese robocalls from from Brooklyn. right, exactly. So, <laughs> so the way all this communicating, all this communication is happening is on the web. Yeah, and there's lots of ways you can do it. I mean, you can use, you know, uh, you may have at the enterprise level, you may have Teams or Google G Suite, uh, now called Workplace, I think. Yeah. Um, at your campus, and maybe you're using uh, G Chat or or a Teams chat. Um, maybe using something else. Maybe you're using a virtual conference tool like WebEx or Zoom. Um, but uh, right now, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, uh, and that's going to consolidate and going to change uh, as we settle in. Um, because I think people are going to find, you know, no one knows how much we're going to go back to the way things were. Um, but given that that these are tendencies that were happening anyway, yeah. and COVID just gave them a real accelerating acceleration in that transformation, um, my guess is that we may slide back. A little bit, but that some of these changes are, are permanent um, and they're not going to change. And and uh, we need to uh, figure out both on the uh, course delivery side how we're going to have real online learning, and on the administration side how we are going to uh, have a virtual campus uh, with basically every function of the campus being delivered in a high quality way virtually. Well, talk a little bit about how now that everybody's doing it, right? Whether it's, it's Zoom or Teams or, or FaceTime or whatever. Um, what uh, are the advantages of being, of using your technology versus anything else that's, that's uh, being thrown out there? Sure. And by the way, you know, we're completely open to people using various tools for various purposes. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's like they discovered that, um, if you uh, uh, just make paths where folks walk anyway, right? Um, that's the most efficient route to do it because people just take those paths. And so when you see a, a path uh, carved in the grass, well, put a sidewalk there. Right. Uh, people will naturally go toward what suits them. And there are a range of tools people are going to need for various types of, of uses. 
Um, for just person-to-person -person interaction or a very small group, um, probably a Teams or a Gchat is the best thing to use. Um, it's uh, quick. It's it's very uh, it's small scale. It doesn't necessarily have to be recorded. It, it could be, but it doesn't. It's not something you have to preserve as an artifact. Yeah, it's not something that has a, any governance to it. Um, but if you're going to have um, conversations or any interaction, uh, like exchanging documents, um, you know, you're going to upload your PDF to the LMS because that's where you put things that are going to get assessed. Yep. Right. Sure, you can do PDFs in the background, person to person in a work group, but to submit it, you do it in, in the LMS. Right. And the same thing with video um, is that you use you know other things for person to person or small group chats, but if you're going to submit a video assignment which is, by the way, more and more common because, well, I mean, let's face it, um, multiple choice tests work maybe for math, um, maybe for science, but not much else. Yeah. Uh, if um, I'm going to be assessed on how well I can speak French or how well I can palpate someone's back for a nursing program uh, or how well I can give a presentation, there are only two ways to do that. Number one is right in front of the assessor in a physical space, or number two, with video. Those are your options. And so if you're gonna have students do assessment uh, uh, submissions with video, that has to be in an official system and an official capacity. Um, likewise for courses. Uh, we're right now in the Kaltura Virtual Classroom tool, um, and it integrates with our rest of our system that does the video on demand. So it's really easy to save this classroom and have it appear in the LMS, uh, plus transcribed, uh, plus with metadata on who was in it and who wasn't in it, that kind of thing. And that's really important so that students know the official log is gonna be there. Mm -hmm. And they can always find it. So it's like a and, certification almost, it's like certified in a way. Precisely. And if the school has rules on data retention, like you must save this course content for seven years in case someone can test their grade, which happens in some parts of the world, um, you need an official record. So, you know, because we can take all video inputs, um, whether they're personal uh, capture or lecture capture or student submission or recording from a virtual classroom or recording from a broadcast, uh, we could be the one source of truth for everything that, that, that has any kind of um, governance to it. That's really interesting because the uh, you know the assessment of of all the things that are being torn asunder here, um, the assessment piece of education is one that's certainly on the chopping block, right? When it comes to um, the debacles with the SAT and the ACT, and this is even before the pandemic, um, and you, you talk about the multiple choice tests and the, and, and the bubble tests, and now I have a junior in high school, uh, and the guidance counselors recommended not using coaches for the SAT. I mean, that's like an industry that is yeah. on the on the verge of collapse. We've talked, you, you know, you mentioned that uh, how many years you've been in education. Um, how many years have we spoken about digital portfolios? I was just going to go there. <laughs> so, I mean, is this it? Or, I mean, finally? <laughs> Absolutely. Because now, once this is all on video and recorded, um, it's trivial to expose it to whoever you want to expose it to um, as a portfolio. And this, I think, is actually critical to this shift toward um, the uh, uh, 
the the work ready skills mm-hmm. um, that everyone is asking for. Uh, because more and more, you will be assessed on what you can demonstrate you can do. And yeah, sometimes demonstration won't need video because it's going to be coding, right? Sure. You don't need video to show you can code Java or Python. Right. Uh, but um, many other things can only be demonstrated. Like, for instance, uh, that you can teach a class. So many of our, um, you know, people who are now in master's programs to, to be teachers um, need to present a portfolio of themselves student teaching right. before an actual class. Right. Or uh, nursing. Now, nursing, you know, still often has, even in the most advanced digital programs, has an in-house component. Uh, because they have to work on the on um, you know these mechanical um, uh, uh, marionettes or these uh, mechanical sure. devices that, that can that can that can vomit and that can you know have intestinal pain and right, right. there's there's really hands-on piece that that we can't uh, do any other way but in a an actual hospital setting, but most of the theoretical stuff and even some of the practical stuff like like palpating someone's back, you can do at a distance, and then you want to be able to show that you can do it. Yeah, yeah. So more and more, that's going to be key to people getting jobs, um, is that they have a portfolio of, of, of demonstrations of their skill. Yeah, because we're watching also that transition to the idea of micro-credentialing and badges, uh, which is what, to your point, what you're saying is like you, you have to demonstrate a skill that you can do uh, and that the video and it even provides it as an archive. It's not something that needs to happen live. Right. I mean, it's right. something that could be asynchronous. Can you talk a little bit more about the use of video uh, in asynchronous environments? I mean, right now we've all been thrust into this live uh, chat sort of scenario, but especially when it comes into um, both professional learning and higher ed, where you see that asynchronous uh, tactic happening. Yeah, definitely. So certainly there, there is a really important side toward uh, the uh, asynchronous learning, um, especially, you know, we've been talking about the flipped classroom for years, um, which is a perfect example of that. Uh, but moreover, um, thinking through how you can make that content really rich and interactive is important because uh, what we call a sort of lean back video, uh, which is just sort of a video playing in front of your face, um, is not really very interesting uh, in terms of <laughs> didactically. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the, the, uh, because we all know that you learn when you are paying attention and you're in the experience. Um, and it's really easy to get distracted. I mean, the problem with, with flat video is it feels like television. Yeah. And with TV, you're just as liable to like, you know, start scrolling social media <laughs> or talk to your friend. And it lulls you into a false sense of security that you actually learned something. Yeah. Uh, and um, so w- we uh, think it's really important that you start finding ways to really engage, actually force the engagement of the learner and then measure it. Um, and that's with things like in-video interactives, like um, quizzes. So we make it really easy for anybody, uh, including ordinary teachers who, who don't do this all the time, to um, add in moments where the video stops and says, hey, did you see what just happened there? Right. <laughs> right. At minimum, it's a uh, it's a self check on your own attention, right, yep. for the student. Um, but you can also do some really advanced things, like you can um, first off, you can uh, ask questions that ask the student to analyze what they saw in the video frame. For instance, you know, how did you notice the patient behaving? 
You know, was was she, you know, crossing her arms in defiance? You know, was she slumped over in despair? Right, and, and this is important because th this is the kind of really involved, thought-provoking and critical thinking exercise that you can't do if you watch a video and then move to a multiple choice test out of band. Mm -hmm. You've lost the immediacy and really the, the involvement with the video object that, that you could have. So what do you see in the visual frame? Um, you know, is the psychologist doing a good job at questioning right, right now? Uh, right. Or, or is the way the psychologist mirrored body language good or bad? Yeah. What can, what can be proved about it? And in fact, people often think that the most important part of a video is that it be a perfect exemplar of what's being instructed. I think that's all wrong. In fact, you're much better off having an imperfect exemplar and asking the student, what's wrong with it? That's actually a much more interesting process. And by the way, and, and at that, this means that video production can be a lot cheaper because you could use, with their permission, um, student videos from last year. Right. Or, right, whatever. You could use all kinds of things because the point is not what's in the video frame. The point is the critical thinking that you're engaging with what's in the video frame. Yeah. So we also have tools that allow you to have, um, you know, hotspots where at a certain point, um, a question, uh, things pop up that says, you know, do you understand? Yes or no. We can measure that. Uh, we have the ability to do branching scenarios where, uh, you know, a video it, uh, starts you off where you say, um, uh, say a patient comes into the hospital, you know, bleeding from the chest. Uh, what do you do? And the video stops and it says, A, give him morphine. B, right. uh, call the operating theater. C, run around with your hair on fire. <laughs> right? And then when you press A give them morphine, and then you go down that path, and you see what yep. happens. The next video shows you giving the person morphine, and then what happens, and then what happens. And you can actually create these pretty intricate interactives, or sort of situational learning activities with video. And the key bit is, I mean, this is the kind of stuff, by the way, we used to pay a Flash developer, you know, $30,000 to do. Yeah. Like <laughs> five years ago, 10 years yeah. ago. Um, but now, and the problem then is you have to pay them five grand more to fix it year after year, <laughs> right. because information's out of date. With our tools, you can actually, anyone, a non-technical teacher can just swap out a video or change the path because it's all uh, user-generated, uh, very user-friendly to create these things. You just drag videos and uh, lines are on, like, on a canvas. So, and then the, the final part of this, which is really critical, is that these interactives all throw off actually meaningful data. Because, again, with the flat video, um, all it can tell you is, did the user watch the video or not, and how far through. But that's kind of a lie, uh, because they could have pressed play and and gone and had lunch, and the data right. would still say that that um, the video was watched and it was. Right. So. Well, they had their car cardboard cut out. Exactly. So the the data you can throw off from these is amazing, because obviously you can make you can throw off data. Did the person get the question right? Uh, did that person say yes, that I did understand or I didn't? Um, did they go down a path that was the right path or not? Or what path did they go around that go down that was wrong? Mm -hmm. So these are all things that go into really true online learning in an asynchronous mode to get back to the question you actually asked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no it's, it's fascinating stuff. And I just wonder if this is, again, another moment in time, kind of like with digital portfolios, when, when you think about professors and, at universities and I've always used this phrase about the thwatties. Right? This is the way we've always done it. 
and now no one can, right? Now th they've been completely forced into this. I mean, is this a moment where um, professional development is, A, is it necessary, or are the, the tools so obviously easy that most professionals will say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll jump into this? Or is this something that will still need a little bit of arm twisting, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think certainly a lot of uh, people were thrown into it and had to adapt. Uh, it, it was interesting. I have a, a friend who uh, manages one of the summer programs at one of the major um, uh, schools, uh, elite, elite schools in the U.S. And uh, I was talking to her in April, and she said, I don't know if we're going to run summer, summer school this year. Um, even though that's obviously a very big part of, of the life of the school. And basically, she went in front of the faculty and said, either we go online or we don't do it. <laughs> and the faculty said, all right, we're going to learn how to use Zoom, <laughs> right? Uh, and then afterwards, it wasn't so bad. Right. Uh, <laughs> actually. But um, so I, I think, honestly, there's, there's a gradation. I mean, there will be some faculty uh, that, you know, who, who take less to it. Um, and uh, if that happens, then we've given a tool to instructional designers that they can turn out more and better and faster. And that's great. And uh, so ideally, the tools are very end user friendly, and you can get, you know, a bunch of the professors on board. And then those you can't, you have some IDs, and they, you know, take over. But the key is that it be user facing. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I love studio produced stuff, right? It's really cool. I yeah. love fancy graphics and things like that. Um, that is a lot more expensive and a lot harder to um, fix or upgrade year over year. So ideally that should be the stuff that really is the most essential bits and the least changeable bits. Uh, the stuff that's going to be updated more, more regularly, you're better off using a kind of tool that you can update yourself, uh, either a professor or uh, an ID. Yeah. Uh, of all of these uh, accelerants in your space through both the use of the technology and the development of new technologies, are, are they all going to stick going forward after what I call the AP after the pandemic? Uh, <laughs> do, do, do you have a kind of a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a top five list of what you see are going to be permanent changes versus something that might, you know, just fade back into normalcy? Yeah, I, I don't have a, a, I don't see anything out there right now that I think is going to fade back, uh, particularly because people have only accelerated into the most essential things. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen people like, you know, uh, uh, spending the time to pull on this minor thing over there, this minor thing over there. Right, right. Um, they've gone into really the essentials, the things that are needed to give a good online program. So I think those are going to continue. I think there will also be always, though, more experimentation. I mean, yeah. which is great. I mean, and, and some of these experiments have gotten pushed off because of COVID. Uh, and I think they'll pick up again. But uh, I love the fact that it's a very open ecosystem. Um, and you know, we certainly, for our part, are big fans of that openness and want to make sure that whatever comes next, uh, like the the LRS Learning Record Store, right? Well, we can send all our data and do <laughs> uh, about uh, video views and in video quizzes and all kinds of stuff to LRSs. Now, we aren't the LRS, and we are not the early warning system ourselves. Yeah, but we are a piece of what will go into an early warning. Ecosystem, along with data from the LNS, along with data from ebook platform, etc. Um, 
And that's, of course, going to be huge going forward, especially with, with no campus or less comp, less campus, is the ability to, to see student engagement at a distance. Mm -hmm. um, that's, I think, gotten um, delayed a little bit, but it's going to come roaring back pretty soon. Yeah.